<laughs> Welcome to Carrying Into the Void. I'm Brock Wilbur. And I'm Jordan Shively. This is our show about uh, finding the dark stuff in the world and finding the, the nice edges around it and, uh, and taking care of yourself. Being a pal just to everyone around you. Or at least being that dark thing that comes up behind pals and then tells them where they need to go. Like a helpful, like a helpful shadow. <laughs> that, you know, helpful shadows are always the ones that kind of like seep into your lungs and then just nest in the dark cradle of your ribs, right? Yes. Like the, hel- the helpful shadows are the ones that like when you don't have a heart, that's what that's where they replace it. Uh, this was nearly my, my story for the week, but uh, on Facebook, me and Jordan stumbled on the fact that we're some of the only two people in the world that remember playing the game uh, Adventures in the Magic Kingdom on the NES, uh, which is, if, if you weren't of the age and you haven't gone back to do NES games, it's worth, a, worth an illegal download at this point to go, uh, to go give that one a spin because it's a game set in, in the Magic Kingdom, but each ride is a different kind of video game, and they're all pretty good, like the Haunted Mansion and Pirates especially. How did they expect you to know all that trivia, though, as a child? It, it, there's six keys that Goofy lost because he's a giant idiot, uh, and you're supposed to get these keys by doing the rides. And some of the rides, are, like Magic Mountain, is just like a weird like memorization thing. There's no way to to beat it. It's not even. It's not that good. But like, there are these kids wandering around the park that ask you trivia questions, and they were mostly about like stuff that was on the Disney Channel at the time, which wasn't even something that we had in like our cable package in my house. So it was like, and it was about like the actresses, uh, which already like breaks a weird Disney line in the park about like how, like there's no employees uh, and everyone's just uh, like the character that they are, which was already weird. But also this was a game very much like targeted towards young children. Yes. This wasn't like a kingdom hearts kind of game where there's a lot of like more adult in jokes and stuff. This was like, this game was a, was a platformer that was very kind of infantile. Uh, and and the uh, if I found a critic that wrote about this in like oh, a really? throwback thing in like 2014, uh, and and their big angle on it is that like what makes this game so insanely dark, which I remember it as being uh, because especially like uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean thing, you've got to rescue people that are in in danger of dying from like real murder pirates and then you have to like light a torch and nothing's ever explained to you so it's all got this video game logic and you're weirdly dressed like a safari person and you were that you brought it up like you think that the, you felt like the overworld here was just reskinned from the tmnt game and i was like i've never considered that it absolutely is it looks like it it's like the exact same kind of idea i mean for the time that tmnt game the nintendo one not the arcade port was kind of like well executed game for the the nes you know, like there was a map and there was different levels and you had to do things on an overworld and you hadn't seen that that much on an S at the time. And there is stuff to there. There is gameplay in the overworld. People are trying to roll roll over you and stuff. Anyway, this uh, this critic wrote about it, that what makes it so dark is that uh, Magic Kingdom doesn't uh, as a game doesn't continue the Disney illusion, quote, Think about it. Essentially, the developers turned the Magic Kingdom, a utopia, the happiest place on Earth, into a hazardous, perilous realm where one could die in a fiery pit, crash into an asteroid belt, or get swarmed by scary ghosts. The pirates are supposed to be yo-ho-ho pirates, not real rape and pillaging pirates. Was any parade, even a Disney parade, worth getting killed over? (laughs) I was like, oh yeah, this actually is a pretty dark game. And then the Haunted Mansion is full of like 
zombie hands that grab and pull you into the grave. It, it's so. kind of a lot. And I, it, of course, and it I makes sense I, that... I played this at such a young age that it's like a fuzzy memory of playing it. I was probably like six years old, <laughs> you know, or seven years old. That was an interesting, weird old game. Just that it would be stuck in, in both me and Jordan it speaks to what kind of kids we were and how we're still those people. <laughs> uh, so what's your what's your story for this week? Haunted Mansion leads us directly into my story for the week, which is the Bell Witch. And the Bell Witch has an insane amount of things that have been written about it and research done. Um, I've heard at least several other people talking about it, and there's many movies and books and critical sources so but like our show always we're not going to pay attention to any of that and we're just going to talk about the main points and then see how it relates to us so the bell witch or the bell witch haunting is a legend from southern folklore and it's centered around the 19th century bell family of adams tennessee john bell senior who was a farmer raised his family in the red river with his wife lucy according to legend 1817-1821, his family in the local area came under attack by an invisible entity. This entity could speak, it could affect the world around it, and it could change its shape, metamorphs. And sometimes, some accounts said that it was clairvoyant, knew what other people were thinking, and also could warp to other places, or possibly it existed in more than one place at the same time. The first real account that we have of this, like an official account, was in 1894, the newspaper editor, Martin V. Ingram, published his Authenticated History of the Bell Witch, which the authenticated part is used very loosely here. The book is widely regarded as the first full-length record of this legend, and it's, a, it's used as a primary source for many of the other writings. So it's like they started out all their sources that's coming from this person who kind of just made shit up, basically, as you see later. Huh. But in modern times, some skeptics have regarded obvious, his work as historical fiction, but there are some parts of it that are that relate to actual historical figures. Um, in his book, Van Buren Ingram published, he said that the name of the ghost was Kate, and it claimed at one point to be old Kate Bates Witch, which when people like kind of study this, they say that was their neighbor and the neighbor wasn't dead. So that right there. It's weird that the name of the ghost was saying that it was a living person who lived next door. Um, and it continued to, res it would respond fairly to the name of Kate. The physical activity centered around Belle's youngest daughter, Betsy, though, and her father. Kate expressed particular displeasure when Betsy became engaged to a local named Joshua Gardner. And there's a whole part of this where people think that maybe it was a suitor who learned ventriloquism and didn't want her to marry Gardner and was doing all this like trolling or, or, or gaslighting to try to stop this marriage. And it did stop the marriage because after all the stuff we're going to talk about, Betsy did cancel her engagement to Joshua Gardner because she was being harassed by a ghost about it. Um, <laughs> That's a pretty good reason. Yeah. I'll be like, oh, no, this juice ain't worth the squeeze, yo. Um, <laughs> And so the haunting that coming. I'm sorry, that was really good. <laughs> um, so the haunting began in late summer of 1817 when John Bell witnessed the apparition of a dog with the head of a rabbit. Bell, he shot at the animal, but it disappeared. And this is kind of the part where I think I would just immediately be, nope, move in the homestead. There's dog rabbit heads everywhere. 
Other weird sightings leading up to the real poltergeist like explosion were weird birds, dogs that follow people and then disappeared, and a child in green that would swing through the trees and then not be there. So that's some pretty weird shit. Tarzan? A child in green. Activities moved into the home at this point, and there was a sounds of all the classic poltergeist stuff, you know, sounds of scratching, knocking and smacking of lips, sheets being pulled from beds. Several times they would see a form under the sheets and they would try to catch it in the sheets like it was a bag. And then there would be a smell, a stench that was so overwhelming, they would have to let go of the sheet and the the ghost would obviously escape at that point. There's also the voices of old women saying that Betsy should not marry her intended, as we discussed, and an increasing amount of illness. The father just started getting really sick. He said his the disease was described as like his mouth was like solid and food would fall out of his mouth. I, I'm kind of stuck on the smell thing because it's so rare that in hauntings we get into the other senses. Like, I just love a good ghost smell. That's the, really interesting to me. And stenches kind of relate more to demonic activity usually, right? Like the smell of rotting, sulfur. the smell of sulfur, the smell of like foulness coming. But the, in this one they have like, it was like, it was so overwhelming that way. It was usually when they tried to attack the ghost, the smell seems to have been like a, a defense mechanism, which then, which then kind of alludes to maybe the idea that the ghost could be affected and somehow like it was, yeah, it wasn't completely incorporeal. According to like this legend in this world, um, the bells wow. then turned to a family friend, James Johnston, for help, which he seems to have no reason why he would be good at helping besides that he's like a friend. Um, so they came over and they were going to spend the night there to see if it would still happen. And after retiring for the night, Johnston was awakened by the same phenomena. In the morning, he told John Bell, yep, it's a spirit just like in the Bible. Um, <laughs> that was his his very great prognostication um good thing we brought in a pro on this one (laughs) yeah and from from that the word of the haunting spread and people would start traveling great miles to see the witch the apparition would speak out loud and have full conversations at one point they said it repeated word for word two sermons being given 13 miles apart at the same time as if it was like hearing them and repeating them Um, it also it also would mimic dead or other family members with the same speech patterns and accents. The main thing that they were able to figure out about Kate, the, the ghost, the bell witch was that it hated John bell, the father it was a, <laughs> like it wanted him dead. It said that he, it was going to kill him. And there was a bunch of old like rumors. Maybe that it was the ghost of like a slave that was killed, but also maybe it was the ghost of an old witch. Um, there's also a bunch of weird stories about her teeth being buried under the house and that visions of animal heads with their teeth falling out would appear, which is metal as fuck. (laughs) There was also an element of her with telling people about a buried treasure. And then those searches would turn up nothing. And then the ghost would mock them for being so gullible and going looking for the treasure. The ghost though, as much as it hated John was very friendly towards Lucy, almost as if she pitied Lucy for being married to John. Um, calling Lucy the most perfect woman to walk the earth. It would give her, it says it would give her fresh fruit. I don't know how a ghost gives you fresh fruit. Does this appear? It doesn't say, obviously. Um, And it would also sing hymns to her. And also would show 
the the child John John Bell Jr. like a measure of respect, or at least wouldn't harass the baby. Um, there are several accounts, and this is where it becomes possibly where actual historical figures are involved. Where during his military career, Andrew Jackson was intrigued with the story and went there, but never even made it to the house because they were so scared off by apparitions in the yard and stuff. Which and that they it says there's no nothing substantiates that though. Like it was not in his journal. Like you think he would have written about this in his journal that he, that his very public journal that was published um, if this had happened. And even uh-huh. though if he was frightened away, maybe he wouldn't want to write it in his journal since he had a big military career. But there is zero beyond this book that was written and then the subsequent books written from this book. There's no thing to substantiate that Andrew Jackson was actually there. I think I'm somewhat stuck on the idea that this ghost was really Christian. That seems weird to me. And there's a weird part of that where people started to be scared that the ghost would know their secret sins and call them out. So people, for a while, it says that people started behaving really well and everyone around them was like in Christian love and harmony, because, but basically because they, was, they were scared this ghost was going to narc on them. Oh, my God. And that part of the story sounds totally like a fictional morality tale. That, sound, <laughs> that sounds very much like someone writing a morality into this story, you know, and they all lived in peace and harmony because they were scared of the fucking witch. Bell Witch is making a list, checking yeah. it twice, knows all the darkness inside of you. So at the end of his book, An Authenticated Story, there's a quote from Williams Bell, and he kind of just spreads the possible blame around it. It's kind of like how they sum up the book, and it spreads the possible blame around, and they kind of just basically go, I don't know what's real. So the quote at the end of the book from chapter eight is, whether it was witchery, such as afflicted people in past centuries in the darker ages, whether some gifted fiend of hellish nature practicing sorcery for selfish enjoyment, or some modern science akin to that of mesmerism, or some hobgoblin native to the wilds of the country, <laughs> or a disembodied soul shut out from heaven, or an evil spirit like those Paul drove out of the man into the swine, which that was Jesus, not Paul, setting them mad, a demon let loose from hell. I'm unable to decide, nor has anyone yet divined its nature or cause of appearing. And I trust this description of the monster in all its forms and shapes and many tongues will lead experts who may come with a wiser generation to a correct conclusion and a satisfactory explanation. Williams Bell. Nope. <laughs> Look, maybe I had sex with these women. Maybe it was a hobgoblin. It's difficult to tell. Hobgoblins can be anywhere. <laughs> maybe it's an owlbear. Maybe, you know... <laughs> Maybe it was a mimic. Um, an odd epilogue to the end of the story is that the Bell Witch led to one of the only U.S. court rulings of death by ghost, basically. It was the murder of James Smith in 1868, and it was attributed to spirit possession witchcraft as his murder was ruled to have been in self-defense against his alleged possession by the Bell Witch. You've got to be fucking kidding me. So, yeah, this, the Bell Witch this became, has a, it all. became a huge <laughs> scapegoat around the time oh the bell witch made me do it you know um so and also <laughs> it's crazy that at one point there was an official court ruling that it was self-defense against a ghost 
This this sounds like one of the clubs that Bill Hader's character Stefan describes on SNL. You've got to try Bell Witch. It's got everything. Death by <laughs> Ghost. Hobgoblins. <laughs> oh, my God. And so my carry into the void summation is as follows. Sometimes we can feel like we are a ghost fading into the land as others move on with their lives. It can seem like we are fated to become a low murmuring amongst the branches, an imposter in what was once our very home, our life, a shadow that lurks just outside their vision, but is never given their full attention. But you also have the voices of multitudes that have come before you, and the strength of your anger lies deep within those long-forgotten foundations. When those that think to impose their will upon you grow fat and content, when they would stretch and look out over what they think is their property without even seeing what was already there, that is when you will arise, your many teeth and long lost bones sprouting a dark harvest. You will circle them and they will notice you and they will acknowledge the error of their ways. Rest assured, my dark and true, you will be seen, you will be heard, and those that write stories about you will tremble at your name. You are so good. You are so good at what you do. But I also have this genuine fear of ever doing wrong by you. That <laughs> like the way that you would write it up. But what I'll write some like weird, some weird like fantasy art about you. <laughs> you would cite against me, and that in inciting against me, you would write one of these, and I'd just be like, you know what? I'll never go on the internet again. I have been shamed <laughs> off of it. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you, Brock. Jordan, as long as you're cool. Oh my God. You're my, you're my bell witch. You're my poetry words bell witch. All right. What you got for us? My wife, uh, her favorite game to play with me is the bad man game. And it was uh, TMI. Bro. Tricky f- TMI. TMI. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I hadn't even heard that until. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, <laughs> it's actually kind of a problem at the start of our relationship. Cause she, she writes at a feminist pop culture website, but she also writes, Pop culture and gossip. And so we'll just be watching something and she'll be like, oh, can't watch this one. Uh, That guy, you won't believe what he's done. And for a while, I was like, you can't do it in in the middle of everything. I've got to be able to watch something. And then she's like, yeah, okay." And then she'll get in the middle of something like that's a bad man, too. Uh, So uh, we've gotten really good at playing that game. And also, I have no heroes left. Uh, It's fine. Uh, But. Uh, one of her favorite, like all time, fuck you, uh, anyone who thinks he's cool uh, and tries to emulate him is Hemingway. Uh, and of oh, course, God, of course. Uh, yeah. But still, like every dude she's ever dated has been like the guy with typewriters and, and whiskey and thinks that that makes him right, uh, including me for a while. Uh, and just like, no, that just gets you drunk. And it's that Bukowski syndrome, Bukowski syndrome. And so, uh, there's a million Hemingway bars in the world. And in my old neighborhood in LA, there was a bar opening called Bukowski. And for four years, they kept hiring people and it still hasn't opened. And I think it's just the longest running Bukowski joke. Just like, we just can't fucking do it. Uh, it's too much work. They couldn't locally um, source their suspenders, so they can't open. Oh my God. Uh, so uh, in our neighborhood here in Kansas City, uh, and I texted Jordan earlier this week, uh, a bar opened uh, called the, the the Smashed Penny, the Pinched Penny, uh, which is a Hemingway reference. It's a Hemingway-themed bar. But it also, like, 
isn't fully committed. Like there's some quotes of his painted on the wall and some typewriters around, but it's also just got a bunch of TVs that are always playing sports and sublime songs. Uh, I'm like, I, no one here knows what this is going <laughs> to be. Sublime songs. Yes. I, I, they definitely had a Pandora station on, but it played like three sublime songs in a row. And I was like, is this even on shuffle? What's happening? Uh, <laughs> Hemingway would have loved this. So he might we were, have. I mean, we were at brunch there today. Douche and douche. Douche loves douche. Uh, yeah, just the ultimate bad man. And every time we go, my my wife makes a different reference. She's like, what are they serving today? Pigeon. And I'm like, you. why do you have these references? <laughs> like, you know too much about those that you hate. Uh, so she was Googling him. And uh, so this story came up. Uh, the story of Greg Hemingway and Gregory Hemingway was uh, Hemingway's youngest son. And I cannot imagine what it is like to be born into the life of just pure toxic masculinity. Like your dad is toxic masculinity made manifest and you've got to grow up in that house. And like, I'm sure he wasn't around a bunch and I'm sure when he was, it wasn't great. Uh, And so Greg uh, has this really weird life um, where he bounces around the world a bunch. He's born in Kansas city. Uh, which by the time you get to the end of the story here, I was just like, why the fuck isn't this Hemingway bar a Greg Hemingway bar? Like he's the local hero. Like uh, he's a writer and he, he does all this stuff, but he also like his dad is an alcoholic. Uh, he has four marriages in his life and nine kids. Uh, and, and like his interactions with his dad over the years are just out of this fucking world. Like his dad won a Nobel prize and they hadn't spoken in years. So uh, Greg sent him a telegram uh, being like, hey, congrats. And with no note attached, uh, his dad just sent back five grand. I don't know. That's just their weirdo relationship. Uh, He basically like fails out of everything he ever does because of his drinking. Like he's kicked out of the army and he's institutionalized and he gets a lot of electroconvulsive therapy. Uh, And the the Wikipedia article starts this next section by saying uh, a sentence that I feel like Ernest Hemingway would appreciate. The sentence is just this. Greg Hemingway retreated to Africa where he drank alcohol and shot elephants. Period. Like That's, like, that's like a Hemingway very short story. <laughs> it is. It's the, whole, it's the whole thing. And also, you've become your father. Congratulations. Uh, so uh, he gets a medical degree when he gets out. He loses the medical degree because of the drinking. This is where it gets uh, really interesting. He he writes uh, a bunch of books. He writes a book about his dad uh, called Papa, which I fucking adore that he like for the author that everyone called Papa, like only one person gets to actually <laughs> call him Papa. And he used it in the book. I was like, well, well played. Uh, so the the thing that gets really interesting is that um, Greg keeps writing but Greg also starts telling people that his name is Gloria. Uh, and Greg is uh, one of the earliest, like sort of uh, kind of high profile, just because of the family name cases of like gender dysphoria that becomes uh, sort of an emblem of the time. And this, this story is exceptionally sad uh, because what happens is that Gloria realizes their identity and starts into gender reassignment surgery in like 1973, making the first uh, steps towards that back when the science was just uh, not there. 
And so for the rest of Gloria's life, uh, until uh, a tragic death in 2001 from drinking, uh, Gloria keeps writing as Greg. Uh, and Gloria hangs out like around uh, Oak Park, Illinois, and some places like that, uh, where Gloria will some days wake up and go to the local bar and present as Greg and just be, as they called, uh, as they called him, one of the guys. Uh, and then other times uh, would put on high heels and go out and and present it as Gloria. But also like uh, that sort of back and forth uh, sort of plagues them their entire life. So it's it's even there in the surgeries. Like at one point, Gloria has only one breast uh, done and then has surgery to undo that surgery. Like it's this whole back and forth that just haunts them their entire life. And also the technology is, just wasn't there. Uh, and, uh, and this is trans visibility day uh, when we, when we're recording this, obviously not when it comes out. Uh, and I was reading Greg and Gloria's work uh, and it's, it's this incredible writing that I think is actually maybe better writing than, than their dad's writing. Uh, but also this, I, this is one of those stories of, of somebody pioneering, figuring out this gender dysphoria thing and trying to make it happen, but fighting against both themselves and society and, uh, and having a and, father and, who is like and, the hyper masculine. Exactly. Of all writers. So the, the, the most amazing thing that could happen to the, the, the idea of toxic masculinity is that, uh, it would produce, a son that later became a daughter. And I wonder if that would like for, for a guy that, that I just hate everything that he stands for. Uh, I, I love that he had a child that found their own way. Uh, and this also feels like one of those stories. That's just like, where's the biopic movie on this? Because this, this person seems so important. And the fact that I'd never heard of them until, uh, until my wife Googled the wrong Hemingway today at a bar called Hemingway uh, feels like feels like a missed opportunity for more people to know the story of Gloria Hemingway. Obviously, we don't know uh, what Gloria or Greg wanted to be. Why I, I you don't have that information. You can see a tortured life, and you can see somebody uh, alternating between the two, and 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 maybe it's somebody that wants to be both. Uh, but. Uh, it just uh, it feels like that's a person that uh, their struggle and story uh, should be visible. And today's visibility day. So my carrying into the void on that is uh, is this in this small slice of existence on this one platform in this one visible spectrum. We're all just flesh husks, but no one can control your husk. And more importantly, no one can control your shadow. Now, some husks, they cast gigantic shadows on all those around them. Some poison the land from within, some jet into the sky, giant obelisks raising a withered clutch of last-ditch desperation. But if there's one thing we know about the void, it is that the void is infinite. Our time in, in this one location may be finite, but we go on forever, spread across an infinitely glowing channel. To waste any of your time trapped in, a sh in the shadow of another is to waste the value of your time in the here and in the now. Cast your own shadow and choose its shape. With eldritch opulence and cruel command, take your form and let the universe know. And those whose shadows require sucking light from yours, they will slink into the forever.
Cool. Uh, my self-care into the void this week is uh, disconnect. Just uh, I took the social media stuff off my phone. I didn't take it off my computer I, or block myself from it. It's just off my phone. Uh, and I feel a million times better. And uh, my wife has for a year been like, just do this. I did it. I feel better. And I was like, I can't. I have to stay plugged in. Like, there's so many air quotes, important things I need to be a part of. Uh, breaking news and then the memes that follow. Uh, I don't know why I think that that has to be my job or why it has to follow me around everywhere and uh, why I should give everyone access to be able to fight me over uh, dumb shit uh, all time, uh, all the time, 24 hours a day. It's unnecessary. So uh, I took it off. Uh, and now I don't feel a weird pang of fear and uh, disgust every time uh, my phone uh, shakes. Uh, so that's, that's my self care. Get that off your phones. Just get it off your phones. All right. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I think that's going to be it for this week. Uh, where can people find more about you and what are you doing currently Brock? Uh, I am, uh, back hunting a cult across the country. I am at Brock Wilbur on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, Come find us uh, and and rate and review the show. Jordan, where can people find you and support your t-shirt work? Um, you can find my writing at my Twitter, Dread Singles, which is actually at Hottest Singles. And you can find the shirts I design at Merch. Also, I'm a publisher at Uncivilized Books. So if you like cool comic books, you can look up uncivilizedbooks.com. And, you know, there'll be more. So, yep, remember, keep your hearts dark and true and your teeth sharp and mini. And we'll see you next week with another story from the abyss. Thank you. Bye. Bye.